0: Hello and welcome again to the official podcast of the Guitar Department at Berklee College of Music. My name's Ian, and we have another episode of Coffee Talk for you. This week, we are proud to share with you a fantastic clinic we did back on March 31st, here as a podcast. We're joined by guitar faculty, David Gilmore, Tim Miller, David Tronzo, and John Finn on the topic of rhythm. They each go really deep into their ideas of rhythm, odd meters, and practicing tricky rhythmic concepts. There's a ton of really great stuff here, so stick around. Our video version of this panel is up on YouTube as well, and we have a ton of other great content on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, so give us a like and a subscribe on whatever platform you use. Here is our Guitar Rhythm Panel Clinic.
1: Welcome to all of you who are joining us. Um, I'm Kim Perlack. I'm the chair of the guitar department. And we're really thrilled to bring you this panel. It's the second in our series, which we think is so important, called performance ear training for guitarists. Um, we've got um, four incredible faculty members with us today. And Cheryl Bailey, who's our assistant chair. So I want to introduce Cheryl first. Hey, Cheryl. How are hey, you? Hey,
2: everybody. Thanks for coming. This is going to be a great. Um, session lot to learn so our four faculty members who are
1: joining Cheryl and I um, are the faculty who teach the class called PSGT 365 which is advanced guitar performance traditionally for students who are getting to a very high level of of checking of their performance skills a lot of performance majors take the class although it is open to many uh, of you who would like to take it And um, some of you may remember that it used to be curated by Mick Goodrick. So as Mick retired, um, Tim, David Tronzo, David Gilmore, and John have taken over in their own way. And so we thought this would be a great way for them to talk about a really essential topic in um, guitar playing and music in general, which is your approach to rhythm. So you're going to get to know each of these faculty members, these artists, today a little bit differently please go after this is over and look them up look up david tronzo look up david gilmore look up tim miller and look up john finn and get familiar with their playing with their recordings with their compositions and i think you'll find a lot of things in there to keep learning from so thank you all for being here thanks to four of you for being here Um, we're going to start out uh, by asking each person just to talk about your general approach to rhythm in your playing and in your teaching, just maybe even from an overview perspective. Uh, so Tim Miller, would you like to start? Just give us a like a three minute perspective on where you're coming from with rhythm.
3: Sure, from a teaching perspective, I, I would say I, I generally like to identify what I would consider to be the three things that cause timing problems. Um, and I like to go over that with my students and we, we see where they are with those three things. And the first one would be your internal concept, I would call it. And that's your ability to sing rhythms. So, you know, your ability to sing along with recordings and sing exact rhythms with duration and dynamics um, and, and be able to sing along with a metronome you know, accurate rhythms. The next thing, um, well, the thing I've found is that if, if someone is unable to sing rhythms, they're usually unable to, to play them. I found that in my experience for myself and for my students. So singing is the first component for me. The next thing is, is kind of technical, and it's uh, do we have the ability to actually play a rhythm uh, you know, with our hands, you know, on the instrument, because sometimes there are certain shapes and there are certain, uh, situations, perhaps it's, uh, you know, a melodic line, perhaps it's a, uh, finger, uh, picking pattern, depending on the shape of the line and the way it's played, do we have the technique to be able to play that rhythm accurately? Because that's the next thing, in my opinion, that causes time problems is just a technical problem. So, Can you hear it? Can you sing it? Can you technically play it? And then the third thing that we usually go over is, you know, are you able to keep your focus on listening to what you are playing and what you are playing with? So are you playing with another guitar player? Are you playing with a metronome? Are you playing with a drummer? Are you playing along with a recording? Are you able to keep your focus on your own playing and what you're playing with And are you able to keep that focus um, kind of strong enough so that you can determine whether you are playing accurately with that? And a lot of times, since we tend to delete things around us, you know, when, like, for example, if you're talking to someone in a crowd, you can speak to that person and focus on what they're saying and delete the other things around you. Oftentimes in music, if we're having a technical problem or what we do is we delete the listening. And so we have to be able to maintain the focus so that our our internal concept can flow. Uh, We have the technical ability to play the certain passage, and we're listening for any problems that are happening in the moment. I think those three things are the three essential elements that typically cause time problems. And I tend to work on those with my students.
1: That was perfect. And you know, Tim Miller doesn't have a time problem because I just want to say that we said we're going to try for three minutes. And that was an exactly a three minute. answer. <laughs> I don't know if you meant for that to happen, but I i had, it took me a second to hit stop and it was like three, uh, three on the dot. So Tim Miller, he practices his time. He is aware of his time. That's amazing. <laughs> Thank you, Tim. Yeah. Um, David Tronzo, what about you? What What do you think of it as your general approach?
4: I think that following Tim Miller's act is going to be very difficult. That's the first thing that I'm going to say. Um, uh, my approach. So it's a couple of things. First of all, I just want students to understand that there are you know in the world of rhythm there's a very wide range of things that are just in common practice and we're going to approach them from different angles and you know in a kind of a boiled down way there's notatable rhythms and various kinds of ways that we notate but you know I'm referring mostly to standard notation rhythms and then there's non-notatable or ways of interpreting even notated stuff right so we start with the notated rhythms and i have these exercises you know that are like uh, I have a, uh, you know, uh, we'll talk about this probably more later. But this, um, a sixteenth note workout, uh, with all these different groups and breakups of sixteenth notes, so they can really dial in. Uh, we might use just modes of scales or something to practice these. There's a variety of ways we can do it, depending on the, you know, the comfortable comfort comfort level of the student. Um, there's a triplet version of this. So we're counting, we're tapping, we're playing, we're singing, um, and we can start it and go as slow as we need to. The tempos are always slow. I recommend that we work at 60 or less on the metronome for this stuff, uh, which I did as a function of practice for um, an enormously long time. Like I, I live under 60 on the metronome in my practice regimen uh, now for, you know, over 40 years. I practice down in. Between forty and twenty, sometimes, and sometimes below twenty, um, but we work on notatable rhythms, and then we might work on, you know, like identifying what those are in music we're hearing. Could be rhythm patterns in, you know, comping or rhythm guitar. Could be melodies, and you know, this is tied into be, being able to maybe sight read rhythms, uh, and then. Once we get into that whole area of rhythm that is not necessarily notatable or things we do to rhythms feel wise that, you know, and there's a lot of music in the world that does not notate and the whole idea of pulse versus metronomic tempo and whatever. um, We can get into that from all kinds of standpoints, dance, the whole world of dance, music for dance and, you know, modern dance and stuff involves a whole nother sense of time world music of different kinds different cultures right Uh, but i always want to stress to students that rhythm is the first principle of music it is what drives or allows everything else to exist so rhythm is your your first thing you want to deal with and if you're going after other things before that that could lead to some misunderstandings that are pretty profound so that's it
1: okay tim You've got a colleague here. That was literally exactly three minutes. <laughs> you guys, uh, you're hired. That's all I have to say. Yeah. <laughs> Not to pressure. I'm sure the others will do just as well. But um, David Gilmore, what about you? What's your.
5: The bar is set high now. I don't know. If anybody, <laughs> maybe, maybe she can put a timer on here. No. Um, <laughs> uh, Yeah. Well, first I'll I'll just talk about my, I don't know, concept, uh, concept. My, my, my belief is, you know, rhythm as as Dave Transo said is, is the, really the primary element that people connect to first, it seems, you know, even before melody and harmony. Um, and so There's just so many different um, cultures and it's expressed in so many different ways and people feel it in so many different ways. Um, And so for me, you know, I grew up listening to all types of music. Um, I tended to gravitate toward music that had a very strong rhythmic uh, drive to it, like R&B, funk music, and later on jazz and things like that and i don't know if it's you know what came first the chicken or the egg but basically that listening to that music has developed helped me developed a so-called strong sense of rhythm at least i think i have a strong sense of rhythm listening to that music it has a it has a drive Um, and i've noticed you know uh, through experience that people who listen to other types of music have a different rhythmic sensibility so it's a matter of First of all, being aware of the different types of uh, how people interpret rhythm, and understanding it and respecting it, and when it comes to playing together, um, that's where we need to learn how to uh, find a, a common ground, and that's where things start to uh, develop in terms of issues like at school. So, uh, I do work with you know feeling uh, subdivisions based off a of sixteenth note. Uh, upbeats. Um, as Dave said, like I, I work on the metronome like at 50 and below and try to uh, have an empty measure and try to develop the physical relationship of rhythm to the body because that's really where, it, where it's coming from. You kind of have to be your own human metronome uh, to get a, a steady time feel, which is only one aspect of, of rhythm. But um, so, yeah, so we can, you know, talk about that. Uh, further in detail how was that three minutes
1: that was you got 30 you could go for 30 seconds more
5: I feel like, <laughs> I feel like Joe Biden you know he like always ended his, uh, <laughs> his <No. sensitivity. laughs>
1: but we respect a person who who feels like they found the ending so like that's totally great that's
4: another
1: part of improvisation is what I've learned from you guys so there you go that's great um, Jonathan, what are your thoughts about this? About your general approach to
0: rhythm? Oh, you're muted. You're muted.
6: Ah, unmuted. So there's, there's that unmute button. Um, okay, so for for me, uh, for many years, I thought I had a good, a good, good sense of time uh, until. I was doing a recording session with this drummer, and we were doing this like really slow, six-eight, gospel kind of ballad sort of a thing, and there was no click track, uh, and 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 my job was to just kind of hit the two and four, which kind of which which kind of goes to what everybody's been saying about practicing to a slower metronome, um, which I'm I'm a big fan of that. So so, what was amazing was was that we didn't play those tracks to to a click track, yet we did two or three different takes of the same tune, and the drummer was able to bring every take to within a tenth of a second in terms of length for each take, uh, which was amazing. And then, you know, I asked him later how he did that, and what he was telling me that what he does is he subdivides every beat down to the smallest increment he can think of. So years later, I worked with another drummer uh, who was coming up with similar results. We, we This time we were playing to a click track, and when he was playing with the click track, you could not hear the click at all. So he was a guy who was just playing, driving the truck straight down the middle of the road, right? And so much so that when you listen to the track with the metronome on, you couldn't hear the metronome. And I asked him how he did it, and... He gave a completely different explanation. What he was talking about was this whole idea that I don't subdivide every beat. What I do is if the song's three minutes long, then I know how far away the beats are. So his concept was to think about rhythm from sort of a macro standpoint. And as he talked about it in detail, you know part of me was going y- you're completely nuts until i heard him do it and then it was like flawless um so my takeaway is is that i i you know i've got so much to learn about uh, you know about how to play in time which i think is important um uh you know t- t- how you interpret time feel is, a, is is kind of a big thing so I guess my takeaway in terms of how I how I use it is I is I never try to take my time field for granted. And when I teach it, I try to teach that, you know, to be really sort of hyper aware of, first of all, where your time field is, and secondly, how are you interpreting it relative to the music that, the, the, that you're playing. So that's it. Thank you.
1: That was perfect. You all, I, I think you've all proven that... You have great feel <laughs> for time like you just demonstrated that you can be a macro.
6: No, I was dragging the beat. I was six protein. seconds over.
1: <laughs> no, I well, no, only if you count
2: the part where you were muted, but I did not So okay. you
1: were. <laughs> OK,
6: good.
2: Um, Cheryl,
1: what what's on your mind?
2: Yeah, well, those are all tremendous. I mean, I could just listen to this first intro to this whole thing over and over again, there's so much there. I had been thinking, maybe my question, you can answer it in any any way, angle of it. I had been thinking about transcribing, when you're transcribing, um, and, and that place where rhythm intersects articulation and feel, but I guess the other side of it was that I was thinking about, and in, in I think when David was talking about this, uh, Gilmore, <laughs> we got a lot of Davids here, um, is this thing of, you, you can intellectually understand a rhythm. I understand a quarter note, but do you feel a quarter note and getting to that place where you feel that inside that you're expressing it outside? You, you know, like that's what's got to come across, not just I understand that. Or I understand an eighth note so I guess maybe maybe my question now sort of morphed into getting to that place where you take it from an intellectual idea here's a quarter note here's an eighth note here's a triplet and turning that into a feel and of course that feel is going to depend what are you playing are you funky is it funky is it swinging is it a straight eighth feel is it rock feel so I guess you could you could answer that on the thing of like, maybe even too, I was thinking about articulation too when you're transcribing, how do you translate that? So you could take that where you want. Do you want to go in the same order? With, yeah, let's okay. go in the same order. Okay, so, I hope that question made sense. Yeah, that's,
3: that's great. Um, those, those some of those same, things that you said seem to be the unwritten uh, uh, aspects, the uh, you know, things that you can't write in a way that you can only listen to and interpret from from the sound that you're hearing, so it does seem like uh, transcription, what you mentioned earlier, would be would be the best way to develop that, or a lot of listening and then singing along. So for me, transcription can be singing along with the recording and singing the placement, the accents in the, dur- the duration of the pitches or it could be actually playing it on the instrument or in my case it's usually both. Um, but I think that um, since you typically can't or wouldn't write, you don't typically like you said when you have a, an eighth note you don't typically write the duration of that eighth note you know what I mean, in written music. And you don't typically, you can write an accent, but you just can't really get those things on paper. So for me, it's where where the listening comes in, in full force. And I think in order to develop it, I think basically you have to copy it. Uh, Because how else would you get an accent in a language or a time feel in a style of music? other than listening absorbing and then starting to focus on I would just I would focus on the placement of the note is it behind the beat is it right on the beat is it kind of pushing you know is it it, where is it you know what I mean and certain styles have different ways that different note placement I would also I would also check out the accent of the notes like what notes are accented you know what notes are and and a lot of times I focus on accents but the other side of that which is what notes are like sort of ducked down so sometimes the quiet dynamics for me are more important than the actual loud dynamics. You can play loud on any instrument but it's actually not that easy to play quiet on an instrument so I feel like I feel like I'm when I'm dealing with this, where are the accents, I'm kind of dealing where, with where the, the quiet accents are almost more than the loud accents. Um, and then I feel I feel like after the dynamic accents thing and the placement are kind of, I kind of know what's happening there, then duration is also very important to the feel. Um, because the, the length of the note, like where it stops, is like, does the note, stop in time. Usually with people with really good time, I find that the end of the note is usually in time, not just the beginning of the note. So duration to me comes into play. So those elements, I think if you put them all together and you you make it a, a whole thing, I think that can be like your doorway into sort of a deeper understanding
4: of feel.
1: That's great. Thank you, Tim. Um, What about David Tronzo?
4: Well, there was so much in what Tim said that's right on the money. The first thing I'm gonna say about myself though is that I did not, and to this day do not transcribe. I have never done that. I have never transcribed on paper anything but what i did do was similar to what tim was talking about and i'm sure other people have done this is i not only listened and played along sometimes with things that i was listening to but i would listen and then i would play a solo or with other musicians and i would do and i would do a version of what i took in and i looked at all of the phrases for example if we're talking about linear stuff or even comping things i would look at it uh, from a standpoint of like everything's gestural so a phrase length has this gestural architecture it's got a, it's got a lot of uh, information in there dynamics attacks we talk about this thing in um, when i uh, you know in our courses the uh, seven parameters of sound and one of the parameters of sound that you have to become you know attuned to as a musician is uh, the envelope of a note for example the envelope has Uh, An attack at the front and a release at the end and a sustain in the middle and a decay right and the attack a lot of guitar players pay attention to attack But they don't often pay attention to release and this is very significant but like if I was listening you know because if I was listening for example to Ornette Coleman records and I wanted to Sort of in a way I guess I was trying to imitate what they were doing I was trying to find out the ideas find out the way it felt and all this stuff I would just try to do the a gestural version of it, you know, with pitches that I would define. I was also very defiant. I said, I'm not going to copy these lines. I'm going to come up with my version. I thought very at a young age, like someday I will stand next to this person. If I'm lucky, what do I want to sound like? Cause I certainly don't want to sound like them, you know? And so I would say why, you know, I would think about their rhythms and what they were doing. Like what, what was its impact? The rhythms are tied to why you're saying what you're saying. Uh, An exercise I was given very early as a suggestion um, because I didn't have a lot of guitar lessons until I was way along, you know. Um, An exercise was um, take a recorded speech and then play the speech, right? So play the language, take a recorded language. You know, we do this with singers all the time. We try to play like the singers sing, maybe, or whatever, you know. Um, the other, the third thing I'll say is, uh, uh the guitar is a guitar. We have to look at what the guitar does and what it can do And it. I'm not going to imitate a horn or a violin or a piano, uh, in the same way. I'm not going for that. I'm going to look at what the guitar does. Uh, and then I'll close by saying that, uh, uh, it became apparent to me, especially in the studio, that the beat, a beat is a large surface <laughs> as a top, It has a front and it has a back, you know, and in different styles, like, you know, lean into the back or lean in front or in a phrase, you know, push the front, lean the back or whatever. It's all about this thing where there's layers of actual independent time and rhythm going on very subtly. So, you know, we'd have to take that in almost like in its entirety, or I did anyways, uh, through my body, basically. Thanks yeah
1: that's amazing i think what we're gonna find with all these answers is there's so many things that intersect and then for those of you who are listening in the next section moving forward these guys are going to break down for you how you can practice different things so just take in the whole and then we'll get specific as we go so that being said david gilmore what do you think about this topic
5: yeah there's so many things that intersect here and and But um, what comes to mind really is specifically uh, talking about the guitar and uh, what goes into uh, a good time feel. There's so much that uh, affects that. So, you know, where we're playing a phrase, how we're picking, uh, where we're picking on the string, uh, what group of notes on what strings, it's, it's endless. And so, you know, over the years I've discovered that Working with, I would say working probably with horn players more than anybody else has taught me, um, first of all, how to, phrase, how to phrase like them, or at least try to phrase like them, which is a really hard thing to do, to, to uh, have the same dynamics that they're able to do on their instrument with their breath. Uh, to be able to take that, you know, if, if that's something you want to do uh, let's just take, you know, like a a jazz style. And if you want to approach that on guitar, you do have to take into account how you're playing, uh, a particular piece of music and, and a lot of people will, you know, spend their career not really addressing that. And, or they learn a certain way, technically, uh, from when they were young and that's the way they continue on that path, technically. And it doesn't match what they're hearing or what they would like to do rhythmically, and they're sort of stuck in that zone because their technique has really, you know, solidified how their how their rhythm's going to be, and you know maybe tone and articulation and all that stuff. So, um, so having worked with some horn players who kind of pointed out to me, you know, you really want to you know uh, emphasize on the eighth note swing, boom, dun, 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 dun. you know, whereas on guitar it's easier to do da da <laughs> the first note is the is the is the heavier note to do the to do it on the upbeat as a sax player might do for example is something that you really have to work out on, on the guitar so uh, so technique has a lot to do with with uh, with with the rhythm uh, the duration the sound all of that stuff is, is interrelated and uh, and I continue to try to find uh, new approaches to that uh depending on you know what what I'm doing like you know fast tempo music uh where certain in position playing may not work now I have to sort of spread it out over you know three notes on one string and try to do hammer on and pull offs and more legato technique uh which often helps my rhythm you know because I may not have the quickest you know uh, you know there's only a few John McLaughlin's and, and Al Demiola's in the world who were able to pretty much, you know, rip off anything in ridiculous time. Uh, having said that, that, you know, that's a particular sound too. And you may, may or may not want that. But in terms of ry- rhythmic accuracy, you can't deny that they're, they're spot on they're very much on the beat, which is not really something I'm going for. So you have to kind of develop your technique around what, what you're, you know, what you're hearing basically yeah
1: that's great um john finn what's your take on this intersection
6: <laughs> okay well um so i i th- the, the first thing i think i wanted to say is that in terms of transcribing i do a fair amount of transcribing but when i do it's like i think about like all those things that that, that everybody said already about like how much how much can you actually commit to you know to, to the paper about how much you uh, about the accuracy of which you transcribe i think that's a great point so to that when i transcribe what i typically do is i put on the page what i think the player meant so in other words if somebody's playing like a like a phrase that's like back phrase sixteenth and maybe Kind of crams a couple another a couple of other notes in there. I, I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna write it out in the way that makes the most common sense to me, but I'm not thinking of it as an exact uh, documentation of 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 what happened, like like an event list. As much as you know, I'm when I transcribe what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to get inside the player's head. What do I think that they were thinking about? When and then, what can I learn from what I think they were thinking about? So, um, so that's that. Those are the kind of things that I think about when I'm when I'm doing the transcribing. Now, uh, in terms of time feel, uh, you know, uh, uh, one of the things I was thinking about was the the first time that I worked with the Boston Pops, um, it, what, there there was this piece that, uh, you know, like uh, you know, so so Keith gives the downbeat and I have to play an A minor chord. Uh, at the downbeat of beat one of the piece, so he gives the preparatory beat, and then he gives the downbeat, and then everybody's supposed to come in. But what happened was, I come in all by myself, right? And then what felt like four minutes later, the rest of the orchestra kind of followed, be, you know, behind me. So, and then you know, you know, like everybody in the orchestra like look, looked back on me as like, okay, well, I guess the noob just showed up, and. Um, you know, so I very quickly learned that the way that orchestra functions is that to them, the beat isn't this line in the sand that you de- that, that, that that you deal with, like when you're playing with a small group, it's like ready, one, two, three, four, and, and everybody just kind of manages the time feel in whatever way they need to, to be stylistically appropriate. With with that particular group, from where I sit, the beat Feels more like a wave that comes at me, so he gives the downbeat. The wave comes at me. I wait for it for it to crest by the time it gets to me, and then I play. And then there's this illusion that everybody's playing in time. So um, now, you know, they do that better than anybody. Like a, like once I figured that out, I started realizing that that's all about how they function. And there's a million reasons why they do that that are probably beyond the scope of what we're talking about. Um, but it really showed me that like, man, you know, I thought my sense of time was pretty good, but I've got so much to learn, you know, and I, I've just still been kind of a student ever since, I guess. So that's that that that's it. How did I do, Kim?
1: You're great. I mean, this is like you all really do. <laughs> have an expert sense of time. I mean, (laughs) Cheryl, we picked the best panel in the world. I mean, we already knew. It's just confirming every three minutes. It's like we're confirming this. Um, I want to take a second to say that as a classical musician, I love everything you're saying. And I think it's just worth it to let everyone know that this applies to every style. That if you have notation, it's a map. It's a gestural map of music that has been created, that gives you a sense of how you may interpret it. And there's all kinds of layers to that, that you can explore how you write articulation, how you convey. Um, And then when you're playing, it's everything about your playing. The everything everyone said is right on and and down to your tone, to your feel, everything becomes a part of the way you work on rhythm. Um, And before we ask the next question, Cheryl, what, what did you think about what was said? Did you want to add any thoughts since it was your question that you were thinking about?
2: No, because what's great for me as a, as a teacher is that, you know, these are all things that I've said, but I like to hear them in other people's voices because I'm going to steal all of it. I'm transcribing this and I'm going to steal all your licks.
1: (laughs) Ah, Yeah, and also this is great because all of you may have said something similar to this in a class, but then if your students are watching, they'll come to you next class and say, you know, Tim Miller said this great thing, and then you can be like, yes, (laughs) that's exactly right, or David Gilmore, or David Tronzo, so we're all helping each other, so it's great. Um, So our next question that that people were thinking about is all of you have had extensive professional careers and you've played in many different styles and different settings from what John mentioned in the pops to all kinds of different improvisational and stylistic events and venues and and bands and all kinds of things was there a moment that sticks out to each of you in which you said you know I have to this is gonna change my perspective on time. This is going to shift my perspective on the way I think of rhythm. And I know that you're all thinking it because I'm watching the gallery and everyone's laughing. So, Tim Miller, what sticks out to you right now?
3: Well, I think it's almost like every gig with a really good band is, is that moment all the time you know because we talk about being eternal students. I mean you know anytime I get a chance to play with a great drummer I there's just something that I'm noticing you know that's gonna change the way you know I play even in just a little subtle thing uh, a subtle way. So I think it's that's happening all the time. I don't think I could pinpoint one thing but I do remember one that was pretty significant it was back in college actually, And I was recording. We we were recording a demo or something like that in a in a studio. And I was playing with this really great drummer. His name is Rob F. Sherry, and he now plays with Andy Timmons' band. He's a great drummer, and um, an old friend. And I remember we we were in the studio. We were playing a ballad. We were playing a like a slow piece. And I was on the acoustic guitar. And I was I was feeling kind of tense a little bit like when I was playing and I just felt like the take wasn't really happening I don't know and the drummer got on and he was like hey Tim you know you know he's trying to be really cool about it because he was he's a good friend of mine he's like man you're rushing right now and can you just like can you just you know pull back on the time a little bit because it's making everything feel a little Little tense. And it was a moment of awareness for me. It just raised my awareness of rushing because rushing is kind of one of the worst time problems that you can have, in my opinion. And so, this guy who's a good friend who also I respected highly, who had really great time, he's like, Man, you're rushing, you know? Like, and it was, a, it was just a moment of realization that this is something that I need to focus more on. And ever since then, it just it just kind of heightened my awareness, and it was something that moving forward, I always thought about that that studio date where I got called out for my rushing, and you know, every time that I start to rush, I can now feel it. I, it's like I, I like I have a self awareness enough to know that I'm rushing. Like here it comes again, just like relax, let's pull it back, you know, that kind of thing. So. uh I think that's the one I remember the most because it's affected me my whole career so far.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's a good story. That, it's amazing that you internalized it to that point. And that's possible to internalize that awareness so you can benefit from it as you move forward.
3: I think when someone tells you that you respect and they tell you in a direct way, sometimes those are the best learning moments. So I often don't hesitate to do that with my students. You know, like I tell them nicely, but in a direct way, look at the rushing, it's something you need to work on your time. Because if someone tells you, sometimes they can have this impact that you remember for a really long time, and it can actually really affect your, your playing in a good way.
1: Yeah, that's great. Um, David Tronzo, what pops up for you?
4: Well, the first thing is this thing that Tim was, uh, talking about where, you know, I'm looking at this panel, for example, I'm thinking of our colleagues and, you know, everybody that's on this, you know, if we, it, if we sat down and played in duos and trios and, and groups or whatever, just us guitar players, the primary difference between us would be our sense of rhythm and time and how we express that. That's like all the stuff that we use is all built around that kind of ideal. And that's like the great intersection So like, if I'm in an ensemble of any kind, like projects that I had years ago, for example, that really clicked, it was primarily because we all thought about time and rhythm the same way. And we felt it, you know. And when it doesn't click, sometimes it's not a matter of agreeing on a quarter note or rushing or, or falling. It's bigger, you know, and you have to honor that. So there's a couple of stories, real quick. These are all very brief. They're from my professional time, I had the good, fortune to play a lot of music from different cultures. And here's a couple of eye-opening moments. I'm playing with a a Gambian Chora player named Fode Suso, we're playing duos, we're doing these duo concerts. And he turns to me one day, and I'm actually doing quite well in the music, he's happy. And uh, he turns to me one day and he says, "Uh, African six, not like American six. That's all he said. (laughs) And I just went like, got it, you know, like I'm gonna go work on that. Another one was, I was playing in music, this Moroccan in music with a guy named Hassan Hakmoun who had come to America. And uh, you learn this music, like a lot of musics like this, you learn it by dancing first and singing second, and then you play the instrument, right? And I was having trouble, you know, a lot of Americans have trouble. We feel the one in a different place of these units of, of melody. But the rhythms themselves toggle between three and two, right on the edge. So they become duple and triple almost simultaneously. And I was having difficulty with the rhythms. (laughs) And one day he turns to me and he goes, you've never ridden a camel, have you? Literally. And I said, no, I've never ridden a camel. He said, if you took a trip in the desert and you rode a camel, this is the rhythm we get from the camel. It's this rhythm that has this three-part kind of beat thing. right?" uh the last story uh there's a bunch but the last story i'll tell is um i'm sitting there playing some music that a composer wrote and this was really common in new york especially in the 80s where people would write without bar lines but they would write note values so the phrases appear as notes of various values and then maybe there's a apostrophe like a breath mark and then there's notes and so you're doing relative value melody playing Uh, But you can speed up or slow down the phrase, they can change in the duration of the time between them. So everything about the performance is now this thing you have to reanimate in a felt way. And I said, okay, I'm going to log that too, you know. And there's like hundreds of these different variations that have happened. And everyone was like, okay, now you got another thing to go work on and study. And I just thrilled to this, you know, to this day. And there's many more. Thanks.
1: That's great. You're also on time. You, know, you get in and out of the questions. It's great. That's great. Did you ever ride the camel?
4: I did not, but I had this wonderful conversation with Jamie Haddad years later. Jamie was, you know, teaching at the school. He's a percussionist. and he rode the camel. And he said, "It's exactly correct. It's the rhythm of riding a one-hump desert caravan. You know, like a camel train camel."
1: There you go. That's great. Um, David Gilmore, what are you thinking about this?
5: Wow. I got to try that camel uh, technique in my advanced rhythmic class.
1: <laughs> hey, make sure it's the one hump camel, though, and not the one two. Hump? It's probably yeah, different. Right.
5: Yeah, right. <laughs> a rhythm, yes. Um, yeah, a couple of things. Um, I remember um, having sort of a revelation uh, playing with the with, um, Steve Coleman uh, and he had, you know, Steve, if you know his music, it's very complicated rhythmically, a lot of odd meter stuff. And, um, and I kind of thought I had my rhythmic odd meter stuff together, listening to, you know, fusion and back in the days, John McLaughlin and return forever, all that stuff. And getting together with him was like a totally different thing. And um, so I was kind of hanging in there for dear life. And there's this one tune uh, he does called change the guard. It's in seven. And it's in seven, but there's like multiple layers of it. And some parts are like a short seven and some are in the long seven. And I just didn't know where to fit in on the thing. And so I can't remember where I was feeling. I think I was feeling the short seven. And of course, if you feel a short like a seven, eight, and the tempo, you know, night after night would get faster and faster. (laughs) It's like, and I just couldn't keep up. And this may sound simple to some people, but after a while, I figured out, wait, I can, I can do a long seven, but the trick was to play certain parts and hear it against this long uh, pulse, as opposed to the short pulse I was sort of uh, trapped into. And it just one day, it just sort of clicked. I heard the phrase against a longer pulse, and I was able to now go kind of switch between... You know both pulses a fast and a slow one and that was a that was a kind of a game changer for me hearing things in a bigger perspective um fast forward a couple of decades later and I, I was doing this um i had this pop gig with uh, uh Josh stone and i'm doing a rehearsal uh in in florida with some you know the bands like super groovy super funky and i'm like Damn, man, this is a piece of cake you know i grew up with this stuff R and B. you know and I'm thinking I'm in the pocket, I'm playing, you know, grooving along to this tune and the drummer stops. He's like, uh, uh Dave, do you think you can, um, you know, just, just lay back a little bit. And I'm like, I, I'm playing laid back. <laughs> I got really a little attitude there. I was like, and then I, you know, I laid back little bit. and then he stopped it again. Must stop stopped like two, three times, the music director. And I was like, what am I doing wrong here? You know? And they explained it to me. And it it took me a minute and I was that was like, okay, I need to really investigate this a little bit. So I finally got it in the rehearsal. But uh, it was, you know, this very subtle thing that I was doing that um, made me think, well, I really got to work on this. I thought I kind of had this together. So that, um, you know, a lot of little other things here and there and listening to music. I had a session one time where uh, Marvin Smitty Smith with his drummer and he did his drum solo and he was playing all this crazy, bombastic stuff, but the form was right on spot. And I just could not keep the form during his drum solo. It was driving me crazy. I listened to the playback. I've listened to the CD since then and still at certain spots where I always lose it and only a couple times. So there's always something that comes your way that throws you off. That you know that you have to work on like whatever subdivision. It's like a you know some drummers particularly have tricks up their sleeve that tend to sound like they play on the offbeat and they make it sound like it shifts to a, to- a totally different thing and it still throws me off. So there's always something you know, there's always something to uh, to work on. You know, yeah.
1: That's great, um, John. What about you? What comes up for you? A, a moment. Maybe another moment, since you shared that great one from the pop. Okay,
6: so, uh, uh, well, you know what I was thinking about, actually, um, you know, and and uh, you know, and, and Dave Gilmore, I can definitely relate to what you're saying. It's like, you know, it, the, you know, when you get on the gig, you know, you wanna come across as confident. You wanna f- feel like you know what you're doing. And then, you know, so you assert, I know what I'm doing. And you play in a manner that's confident, and then people start vibing you And, you know, and and I I do the same thing. It's like I immediately get defensive. It's like, what do you mean? You know? um, So anyway, so I was thinking, so years ago, uh, Berkeley was celebrating its 65th anniversary, and they were putting on this big gala of uh, concert event over at the Wang Theater, uh, where Paul Simon's band was supposed to Um, you know be the house band uh, for for all these different artists that were going to be coming in so two days before the concert happens I get a phone call from the performance division saying listen Paul Simon's band is, is going to be playing but as it turns out their guitar players don't read so will you come in and play all of the non Paul Simon stuff for this concert I said well, of course you know I mean I, I would love to thank you you know thank you for thinking of it, you know so you know they gave me all the music ahead of time and you know I mean there was some challenges in there but it was you know f- uh, so the basic idea is, is Paul Simon's band's rhythm section plus a horn section plus a string section those are all Berkeley students so that's kind kind of the setup and then um so the drummer was uh uh, the, the 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 drummer was Steve Gadd bass player was Abraham Abrahamboal which from that era were two of my favorite bass player and drummer rhythm section combinations ever so for me it was like ridiculous getting the chance to to, to play with them and so anyway so we're, we're at the rehearsal and most of the things are going fine um and we get we the so that this woman comes out, um, that none of us expected to see there, and she sort of puts a chart on my uh, uh, on my music stand on the way by, and she hands out all the parts to everybody else, and she says, "Okay, well, she's been added," and I forget who she was. It was some it was some girl that was kind of doing sort of a Latin poppy kind of a thing, and so we we started playing it. You know, we get through, we get through playing the tunes fairly strict, simple, phrase, fairly straightforward, and she turns to me. She says guitar player can you and she makes a suggestion so okay so i try to do it and you know we play through it again she stops about halfway through it no not quite like that kind of more like this and then after a few minutes it was clear she got sort of got caught in this thing where i'm 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 in her i you know i I, i'm in her head uh, i'm i'm in her target range and all she's thinking about is how i'm going to sound better and of course i'm playing in front of all these people and i'm trying to not be an idiot you know and, uh, you know, it's just starting to feel like worse and worse as this going away. So Steve gets stands up and he says, hey, can I talk to him for a second? And she says, yeah, sure. So he turns around to me so that she couldn't see. He turns the glasses upside down and says, you've been a musician your whole life. You've played with a lot of vocalists. you played with a lot of musicians. You know what you're doing. You know how to do this. So what I want you to do is I want you to listen to what we're doing and find something that sounds good with that. And then he turns around back to her and says, okay, he's fine. We've got this, right? So, you know, and what that did for me was just to make, it just sort of forced me to just kind of play maybe a third or less of what I was originally doing and then just spend most of my energy listening to what everybody else was doing and then just trying to add and contribute to that and just relax and play the music which is something I'd forgotten how to do in that moment okay so you know we get through the piece and then she turns around to Steve and says thank you Steve <laughs> <laughs> but man I you know I have to thank him too because it was exactly the right way to handle that situation you know so uh, for me in terms of in, ter- in terms of time feel the lesson I got out of that was just, you know listen to the way listen to what's happening with the music and then find something that sounds good with that and how you frame your time feel is a big part of that so that's it
1: that's great i i want to follow up with tim and david tronzo because um both david gilmore and john finn mentioned they had two, a couple different stories that talked about music that has complexity Right. That has a certain amount of rhythmic complexity and the kind of issues that can come up there. And then um, John and David Gilmore, you also brought up, you know, I think it's very common for a lot of people to feel like, well, if music is feel based. If it's like a funk tuner, a blues tuner, then it then there's a simplicity there. But it's really not true. Correct. I mean, it's really a complexity of a different type. And so I'm wondering if just briefly, if. Tim and David Tronzo, could could you just comment on that, maybe through one of your experiences with music that's pop music or groove based or blues? Um, Tim, what do you have a? Was there a moment that stood out when you're working on rhythm in that context for you?
3: Um, I mean, I'm I'm always if I get into a situation that's complex which sometimes happens and maybe let's say I got into a situation was a little over my head c- complexity wise where I, uh, yeah wasn't sure what was gonna happen or what I should do I've learned to um, I've learned to simplify my playing and not worry I've tried to I'll just say that I've tried to focus on playing As little as possible to make the music sound good if I feel like I'm in a situation where it could go the wrong way and I could start you know you know I could start things could start happening that I don't want to happen musically so I I do I do consciously work on that to where if I'm in a situation just like calm down play simple play simple rhythms, simple melodies, and play only what the music needs. Um, Now, if I were in a situation where I was totally free and I felt like I could really open up and do whatever I wanted to, it would be a slightly different story. But I think sometimes we have to develop skills to pull back and say, okay, what does this, play only what it needs. Because then you can still sound good in the moment and you can still make good music that people can enjoy. But you won't have that kind of stress of trying to sort of deal with it in a way that you're unable to in the moment. So um, that, that's what I could add with that. I mean, uh, I think that what John said was was amazing. Just that 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 moment where you learn that skill. I think that's that's a that's a pretty cool thing to think about. Hopefully, everybody has that moment where they learn that skill because it can help you in your career. I think in a lot of different situations.
1: David Tronzo. what about you? Uh, Is there something that struck you when you were playing like pop and blues and or music that was more um, maybe feel based?
4: Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. There's a lot to this. So there's no hard and fast things. But what Tim was mentioning is absolutely right. And, 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 and John and David touched on this, you know, like, You have to kind of consider the bigger picture like you're or, you know, it's basically like orchestration and you can fit into anything with very little stuff. Um, So, you know, there were these things that you kind of learned, like pop music. You know, when I encountered like recording in the 80s and 90s, for example, there was a lot of formulaic sort of unspoken things like you never entered the tune at the top. So you would go halfway through the first verse at the earliest before you play anything. Unless you were responsible for some kind of larger part that was supposed to be in the body of the track or whatever, but generally there was this idea like, pick your entrances, insert things, whatever. Um, I developed this like concept where I would comp with one, with single notes. So I would represent chords with just single notes like long tones. like like they were almost like string part things or just these like sounds that would come in. And these didn't always come from a concept like, uh, <laughs> like string parts or whatever, like organists do that. You know, they'll just play a note and let it sustain for a moment and then take it away. You know, this could be huge. Um, and uh, so I would also do things that were not typical for guitar. Like I would do long, long sustained sounds instead of rhythmic things and then counter those you know um but the other thing i want to say is i had experiences that showed me all these different ways to kind of go about you know getting comfortable uh in remembering that i'm a musician and i know actually how to play music and relax you know and i was really a fan of uh, like a profound fan at one point of uh, new orleans second line music and I got invited to come down and do some playing with the Wild Chapatulas, which is a New Orleans Indian tribe that does the Mardi Gras. They're a historic, like, Smithsonian treasure group. And we were going to the rehearsal. <laughs> this friend of mine's driving me to the rehearsal. I said, where are we going? He said, oh, we're going into the Bywater neighborhood. you know." I said, where's the rehearsal? He says, well, you'll see. And we park in front of this bar. Looks like a little dive. And we go in and it's full of people like shooting pool and all this stuff. And the wild chapatulas are all there. There's no instruments. And all we're gonna do is clap and sing and dance the tunes. And then the next time you play, you're on the gig. Let's hope you paid attention. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I was like, wow, that is so, I, you know, I was, it was like almost like now I see how they get that feel. This has nothing to do with playing guitar. Wow. So that was really profound. And they were just like, they didn't even ask me a thing. They didn't say a thing. They were just like, yeah, here we go. (laughs) Beating on the bar, you know, it was was beautiful.
1: That's great. So now that we're in our second hour, I'm wondering if each of you would be willing to um... Take five minutes and, and maybe just take us through a little five minute lesson. You can use the metronome or not, whatever you want to do. Um, but just take five minutes and and maybe um, just show some of the people who are watching and listening like how to work on one aspect. It could just be one lesson, one aspect, one thing for them to take home and practice. Um, Tim, what do you think? What do you want to show everyone? Sure.
3: Um- well, I think the the biggest thing that I could say um, with with time is that you just have to care about it, and, and and what I mean by that is that if if you actually care about it in your playing, then that's that's the main thing that needs to actually happen because. I do find some guitarists, let's just say guitarists, since we're all guitar players, that don't consider it as part of their sort of world in a way. You know, where where they 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 practice and they practice these kind of um, kind of fast rubato things that are not in time, or these flurries of notes that don't seem to to you know fit into any kind of you know, structured ryth- rhythm, or the sort of noodling, uh, endlessly kind of noodling, not in time, uh, that type of practicing, if you could call it that, and that, that tends to lead to kind of nowhere in, 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 a, in a lot of ways, okay, I found, for myself anyway. Um, so my first thing is that you have to care about it. You have to care about it so that you're focus on it pretty consistently pretty much in every moment that you're playing whether it's conscious or subconscious you have to really have that desire to have good good rhythm I feel like if we don't discuss just that the general desire uh, to bring up a a, like a strong awareness in your mind then it 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 can't in my opinion can't can't really improve okay so if if you care about it, then that means you'll be able to identify the problems in your playing. So what I what I like to do is I like to play, I like to practice maybe a, a tune or a scale or whatever in time, and I like to record it and I like to see if I can identify what's wrong with it. Or if if it's if it's good be able to identify that this is actually good this is in time this is dragging this is rushing this is inconsistent you know the dynamics are messed up whatever identifying the problems so caring and identifying to me if you have those two things while you're playing you it can almost just lead to so many different it can go down a bunch of different roads but as long as those two things are in place it in my opinion can be I think is the most important thing Um, so if I'm practicing or I'm having someone practice with a metronome because people want just like metronome things let me get a metronome out Um, all I'm gonna do is I'm gonna play and record and play and record and play and record and then make judgments about my playing so here let's see So, I mean, I might even just start with like a little, uh, like a scale or something like that. And I might just say, okay, when you play, uh, let me get a sound here. So. I might record myself playing something like that like some lines or in a scale or some sort of musical phrase that hopefully makes sense not just random things and then I'll and then I'll record it and I'll listen back and try to notice something wrong with it like I bet if I listened to that right now, if I were listening back, I might find like there were a few little moments where I was like, you know, I think that could have been a little tighter, or maybe the duration could have been a little better, or my dynamics could have been better. Okay, so right there that was a little bit of an improvised line. Okay, but we could take this into any anything that you're doing. Let's say you're learning the melody to a song, you're a comping pattern of whatever it is. It doesn't matter if you're a classical player, you're playing a rock tune, you're playing a jazz melody, whatever record it with a metronome and since you care and since you're able to identify problems in your playing that whole thing creates this kind of like loop of practicing and um awareness is the key i think and knowing when it's not good and knowing when it's good and i think if you have that you've got it all really mm-hmm. now there's many many other things that you can do with time that are really specific and technical like uh uh, uh in terms of like owning each subdivision like being able to go dot 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 like that where i'm i'm singing every, every every subdivision while doing this that's another thing that i like to do got dot 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 dot, 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 like that, so it's accurate. I'm, I I have good time here, and I have good time here, okay? For me, that's that, being able to sing it and having that internal concept thing happening. And then you translate that all to the guitar, and uh, yeah, there's so many things I could talk about, but in five minutes, there you go.
1: <laughs> that's great. That's a good five-minute start right there. Thank you, Tim. Yeah. Um, David Tronzo, what do you think? What what do you want to share for, for five minutes with these folks today?
4: Well, okay. So the first thing I'm going to say is I, I have these workouts. I call them 16th note workout, uh, triplet workout that I'll bring students through. I'm just going to show one of these. Um, I'm not going to go through it because Tim just described like the, the importance of it, but it's breaking a 16th note group down into all these combos, you know? So, you know, you would uh, take a a metronome uh, at a slow setting. I'll do this at 60, you know, and you take a scale and you have. Right, and you're playing your scale as 16th notes, and then eventually you just, you know, go through each group, right? Pretty soon you get down the list and you're doing all your E's, all your ANDs, right? etc cetera, et cetera, right? And then all these combinations. E uh is pretty tricky, right? You mix it with one and. Right? So then you can use them quarterly and whatnot. And we go through this very slowly, very methodically, maybe even just a couple of subdivisions a week. But the real thing that I discovered was critical, was this. It goes in a category of things I call super fundamentals. <laughs> and on a slow metronome, I have found that students are entirely focused on this, marginally focused on this, and never focused on this, generally speaking. So. Imagine the experience that your body has. If I'm at 60 and I take that same scale, which was A major, and I play whole notes. Now I realize how how big the beat is. Then I have to breathe and relax. A lot of time to meet yourself in there in between those notes. (laughs) But the cool thing is this, right? You live at whole notes for a while, and when you go to half notes, an interesting thing happens. The energy level goes up in a way in your sense of the music. So when you get to quarter notes, you realize like energetically the music has really shifted gears and you get to eighth notes we haven't syncopated yet and you go back to whole notes right and then you really develop this sense of like the grounded nature of the of the half and whole notes and then if you want to get into syncopation sometimes before we get into like crazy stuff I'll just say what if you play your whole notes on and (laughs) right you have to count four beats and just feel and or e and you know start to get into uh 16th note subdivisions of e and an uh like related to whole notes or half notes or quarter notes before you even get to eighths so this world in here is really super powerful it's like so foundationally powerful because in order to do it i, I need to breathe i need to relax i need to kind of like notice How much my brain wants to distract myself from everything like, you know, the metronome, the thing or whatever. Maybe I'm tensing up or there's some I noticed that some students will move their hand right before they go to play the thing like a muscle impulse that's unnecessary. And then, of course, they will be late or they'll be off. So it's fascinating what this uh, uncovers and I um, I show them or whatever I take them through this idea that uh, these rhythms down here, the whole notes and half notes and dotted half notes and whatnot, are like, I call them earth rhythms. And the eighth notes and the sixteenths I call them sky rhythms, because the earth is heavy and grounded and the sky is lighter and kind of moving up. And the and the the mediator of the two is the quarter notes. And these connect this to this. So I tell them respect the quarter note because it's the uh, it's the uh, negotiator between the two worlds, you know, But living at half notes and and whole notes and syncopated half notes and whole notes is often a really enormous, look at that, an enormous discovery of um, potential for uh, every student to like relate rhythm to their body and their breathing. That's it.
1: And I think you and Tim both are advocating for making sure you can go back and forth. What happens to your time when you go from shorter durations to longer durations make sure that you you're still staying in time yep as you're going back and forth and, and
4: i'll just say and notice what happens in your body and your breathing when you go from yeah. longer subdivisions to shorter or shorter to longer mm-hmm. you know what i mean because you have the sense of going faster or slower right and there's a body thing that's going to happen and you got to you really have to tune into that because that is not uh something you can uh not afford to be uh you have to you have to be aware you have to be aware it comes back to awareness
1: yeah everyone who's watching you can watch when you go back and watch the video you can watch tim miller breathing as he played that long line you can watch david tronzo breathing you're going to watch david gilmore and john finn also breathing while they're playing Uh, david gilmore what about you
5: i might be panting it depends on the uh complexity of the rhythm (laughs) no (laughs) so um (laughs) no what um what what uh david was saying about um the the body is like so important so um like something that i notice. um well let me just add to like the metronome stuff right like all the stuff that tim and and david does is like Right, kind of the stuff that I that I do as well. All the different subdivisions, starting from a whole note, um, and then kind of working down from that uh, to dotted uh, half, to half, half note triplets, uh, dotted quarters, quarter. So it just gets smaller and smaller. Uh, so the ones and threes are kind of uh, if if you're tapping your foot, which I actually encourage. I know I think in classical circle sometimes they say don't tap your foot but uh this is i say tap your foot bob your head this is like you know you need some kind of counter rhythm in your body uh some people you know do the left foot the right foot you know sort of this counterweight you have to develop some kind of physical relationship to the tempo so um so a good way to kind of develop that is um i have um You could say this is uh, yeah 100 BPM. I have it set on 50, but I'm um, taking out two beats. So that's that's just the downbeat. So that's just you know giving yourself space. So now you're forced to kind of fill it in with some kind of a. Just get used to that tempo, and then start uh, on one note. tap your foot to the downbeat and see where it comes back because it's a you know what you want to do is 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 have the relationship of this against that Uh, so uh, and then just work your way down from there And then once you get used to one note, then you move it around like everybody else is doing because when you start moving around that's gonna you know affect your time because your 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 mind is starting to focus on other things right so uh, and then what I would do is go further and take away one of the beats and so now you have an empty measure which you have to fill in so and have to wait a little bit to. Get it in your system. Don't look at the metronome. Start with half, uh, whole notes. etc moving it around with notes make it interesting um play a tune with that we just have a downbeat every measure you know make it fun make it interesting vary it come up with your own exercises uh come up with some tunes like um uh uh you know Monk's evidence is like a good example of stuff that's on the upbeat you know so uh those are all eighth note upbeats. so if i have uh A little faster than that. Swing though, no upbeat. Up. Uh, up. Uh, up. Uh, so, up. Uh. You know, whatever tunes it is, and then take away a measure and try that again. Take the measure away. Very make it interesting. Uh, I will say one one other thing that the upbeat 16th note is the thing that gets everybody you know it's that's so the 16th
0: note
5: so whatever physical thing you have to do if you have to you know the upstroke to fall into the beat. So I can go on and on and on. But um, I, did a, I did a My Music Masterclass um, thing, if anybody wants to uh, to check that out. that I, I go ad nauseum into all the subdivisions and stuff, and then I get into odd meter stuff. So anyway, that's a brief synopsis.
1: Thank you, David. That's fantastic. That's hey, John, what about you? What do you want to offer for a five-minute lesson?
5: OK,
6: so let me see. So we change the view a little bit here. So um, one of the th- uh, okay. So 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 the 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 first thing. Uh, one of the things I like to do when I'm practicing for a sense of time uh, is you know assuming the kind of things that I'm going to be practicing. Uh, so in this case, I'm going to be setting the metronome to fifty beats uh, a minute, and uh, I'm going to I'm going to have the metronome clicking for two and four. So. Now for me, the reason why that's important is because it forces me to assert where I think uh, beat one ought to be. One. 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 And then I'll just play just like a D9 funk pattern. Now, my goal is to make the sound of the metronome disappear into what I'm doing, if I'm doing it correctly or the way I want it to sound. Because what I want it to sound and to feel easy, but I want it to be straight down the center of the beat. One, two,
3: three. <sighs>
6: now my path to that ends up being that i have to just kind of really kind of force the issue into listen to concentrate for a few minutes and then just relax into it now when that happens that's when i start threatening to be funky okay so uh, so that, that that's the first thing um the this here's he another kind of similar exercise. Uh, Let me see if I did this right. Oh, look, I did it right. Okay. So. um, So this is um, an F minor exercise. we're doing 16th notes in group of uh, of three. So if I do this without a metronome, it sounds like this, I'm gonna go, uh, I'm gonna go. Now, you hear me do that for a few minutes, and it starts to sound like triplets, right? Now, if I count where the quarter note is against that, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one. Okay, so the next thing I'm gonna do is I'm gonna add that two uh, metronome thing into it. Whoops, wrong metronome. Okay, so one, two, one, two, three. Here's the whole thing. One. Now, what's also kind of interesting about that is that I can also take each of, these, uh, each of these measures and play the measure one at a time. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna take the first measure and just repeat it. One, two, three, four. Now here's a second measure. One, two, three, four, one. 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 Okay? Here's a third measure. One, two, three, four, one. One. So the whole thing about putting the met, uh, having the metronome click on beat one, um, while while I'm practicing uh, beats click, excuse me, having the metronome click on beats two and four, is because it kind of forces me to assert where I think beat one is. Now, when you're developing your own internal sense of time, that's part of what it is, is that however you're feeling the beat, um, you know, and in this case, I'm putting everything down the st- like straight down the center, um, because I think that that's a just a if you if you can do that, then any variant of that I think is going to be a shorter distance. Um, you know, so uh, you know, and, and a lot of styles, you know, like that Moroccan uh, six eight thing that uh, that Dave Tranza was talking about earlier. I experienced a similar thing. I tried it. I still don't get it, but maybe someday. Um, But the point is, um, if I'm practicing with the metronome clicking two and four like that, I'm uh, that then I have to really sort of assert where I think it is. And that helps me develop my own internal sense of time, then the next step is to just kind of relax into it and allow it to happen. So I've got way more stuff like that, but uh, probably more time than we have right now.
1: That's perfect. That's great. And so Everyone who's watching this obviously can watch it over and over again because we're going to put it up on our YouTube channel, which is Berkeley Guitar Department on YouTube. So you can watch this as many times as you like. And then obviously, if you're a Berkeley student, David Tronzo, David Gilmore, Tim Miller, John Finn teach PSGT 365 and also teach a variety of other classes. Advanced rhythmic concepts, David Gilmore, Modern Writing and Spontaneous Composition, and um, a specific Um, advanced concepts for film scoring with David Tronzo, John Finn, I don't even remember how many classes you teach but many advanced rock guitar classes in different semesters and Tim has a lab as well as private lessons and so you can study with them there if you're not a Berkeley student or if you want to add if you are a Berkeley student David Tronzo has done our coffee talk podcast You can find his episode um, if you go to wherever you get your podcasts and look up Berkeley Guitar Department Coffee Talk. He's back in November. David Gilmore's episode is coming out on Monday, and we're going to be taping uh, next month with Tim Miller and John Finn. So there are a lot of different ways that um, you can stay in touch with these faculty members and learn from them, whether you're in the classroom with them or whether you're just like on our virtual campus with us until we get back to school as well. so there is a question up and we do still have about 20 minutes. So I'm gonna ask the question to each of you and you've all already touched on it a little bit so you don't have to feel like you have to give a long answer. And then if there, there'll there be time if there are other things you all wanna talk about a little bit. Um, and the question is from our friend Dan Mercury, who's a, an alum and he says, um, how do you go about using and practicing odd meters? And he says, intentionally. So um I want to go to uh, Yeah, intentionally, not by accident. Um I want to go to David Gilmore first this time just because David, you have that class called Advanced Rhythmic Concepts and I think you're known for this in your playing. So, could you jump I, in there?
5: I'm no, I'm known for being odd. Yes. And and <laughs> for playing odd meters. Yes. Uh yeah, so um well, okay. Um I mentioned Steve Coleman earlier. So, I learned a lot of this concept from steve uh and there's something that uh that we call the short long beat concept uh and the way it works is basically uh thinking of a clave or feeling a clave and just like you tap your foot to four four uh, or not (laughs) but you feel four four right most people don't have to think four four you shouldn't have to think seven four or nine four or whatever the the meter is um you have some kind of a clave or rhythmic uh Beat that you that you synchronize to so let's say uh, something's in uh, actually I can share something real quickly here Okay, so let's say something's in in seven, right? Uh, you can break it down three different ways. You can have uh, a dotted quarter. Let's say it's in seven eight dotted quarter and two quarters or the dotted quarter in the middle or dotted quarter at the end so uh this is short short long where the long beat is a dotted quarter note so you can also think of it as two two and three or you can think of it as you know four and three uh but i like to just think of syllables basically Uh, so i'll take this this rhythm and i'll put it in my in my foot i'll tap that as my as my clave and i'll play Simple rhythms over it. So like, just you know, I don't know if you can hear my foot or not, but anybody hear that? So I'll just. Sorry. Now I'll take a seven-note scale so it fits in with one measure. Play like one octave up and down. Okay. Uh. Then I'll take, um, before I go into quarter notes, 16th notes would be the next subdivision that would be easier. So still keeping my foot. I don't know if you can hear it, but
2: all
5: right. So now I could also do, like we were talking about, upbeats. I'm uh, just going through this quickly. I could take eighth notes and play this on the upbeat, so like on a on a sixteenth note, uh, the second sixteenth note. So, um, so that's on the beat, upbeat. So, hearing this against that clave. Uh, Quarter notes would be our first kind of over the bar type of thing. And you know, I'm not just tapping my foot, but I'm actually like bobbing my head to it and really like making this my clave. All right. Uh, So and you know, from there, dotted, dotted eighth notes. This is interesting. It's like a three measure thing. Uh, Et cetera, et cetera. All the rhythms that you play over four four over this kind of clave. Another way you can practice it is put the clave like on a low note uh, and play the uh, rhythm on top. Like a, like a Brazilian uh, samba in seven. All right, so you can practice any of those things uh, with the clave there. Uh, so that's, that's like a beginning way to internalize seven and then begin to work out things uh, so you can play over the bar and make it sound more natural uh so that it doesn't sound so metronomic like here's a bar seven here's a bar seven because that's usually what happens is when you know people they they tend to frame things in one bar and you don't do that in four four so why would you do it in in seven or anything else and then once that's a, a a rhythm that's really solid you don't need to tap your foot you know that's just sort of in you and that's that's you know that's just one way to think about uh, to, to internalize the rhythm. That's that's like the most important thing. It's, there's many other ways. There's, you know, uh, Indian syllabic system and just, just countless ways. But this is what I kind of came across with Steve Coleman and, it, and it's helped me out tremendously. It's helped me to work out different odd meters. And when I hear a piece of music, I can figure out what it is uh, much quicker based on breaking it down in this way. So uh, that's the... Long and short of it, no pun intended.
1: That's fantastic. Pun intended,
5: yes.
1: (laughs) Thank you, David. Um, So I think for the other three of you, if there's something else you'd like to share about um, odd time, that's fantastic. But if there's also something else you'd like to share about rhythm from your perspective, this would be a great time to do that as we're kind of wrapping up. So um, Tim, do you have? Final thoughts? Think something else that you want to touch on?
3: Um. Well, I mean, just one kind of interesting thing that I do. I mean, this is kind of with the with the odd meter thing, but um, just a really quick thing that I learned from a bass player friend of mine one time that was really helpful, and I always remembered it. Was um, it's it's maybe a lot. More simple than what David was just talking about because he just touched on a ton of amazing stuff. But this is this is something a little smaller than that. But I think good. Um, let's say you're you're working on five, okay, which is typically a pretty difficult rhythm, uh, you know, time for people to play in. I found, um, and it was for me too, and continues to be sometimes. Um, Taking your hand, okay, and doing this One, two, three, four, five, one, two, three, four, five. Like making each beat into a finger, okay, and then, like, like maybe tapping your foot. Three, four, five, one, two, three, four, five, one, two, three, four, five, And then accenting the different uh, notes in there. So do that. Four, five, do that. Four five, two, that four five, two, three, four five, two, three, four five, one, That was really helpful for me because it was putting together, you know, your hand and your voice and your ability to accent, and I felt like just having this whole thing working together was very helpful for me to understand five better because it had a physical thing and it also had like a singing thing together. You could do a seven, you could do one, two, three, four, one, two, three, or you know, you could one, two, one, two, one, two, three, you could do like that. One, two, three, four, one, two, three, one, two, one, two, one, two, three. and then say, okay, I want to see what what is it, what does it feel like if I act third note. I thought it was really helpful and the hands keep you on track, because I find when you're when you're beginning with odd meters, what happens is you're going to hear a lot of things in four, even if it's in five, you're going to convert it to four by accident. And if you're in seven, you're going to accidentally convert it to eight, you know, that kind of thing. And I think the fingers keep you on track because they say, no, you're wrong. You were on that finger, <laughs> right? And it, it, it's just kind of like a, a beginner's way to get into these odd meters, but ends up being super helpful even down the road, too. Especially like, let's say, if you have a chart. I remember doing this. Someone gave me a chart in five, and it was really difficult to, to sight read. Like I was, it was I was having a really hard time with it, and I was trying to learn this tune for this gig. And I did that thing, like what? Actually, what beat is this note coming in on? And I just sang it, like okay, I see it's on, you know, it's on that those specific beats Use my fingers, and then I could start to sing it. And then once I could sing it, then I feel like I can start to play it. If I can sing it. So I guess my final thoughts, sort of piggyback on, on top of that, would be in my opinion, if you want to get better with rhythms, I would start with the voice. Um, because I think the voice is the thing that in your it is basically, you know, coming straight from your brain, and that's the thing that can help to control your hands to to do what you want them to do rhythmically, playing an instrument. So I would start with the voice, I would start with singing, I would sing all of your rhythms and I would try and convert that to your guitar. That typically helps people with their time more than just about anything that I've I've, I've, uh, experienced.
1: Thank you, Tim, that's great. I want everyone who's watching to know that we're all doing the exercises with each other. Like we can all watch each other do them. So go and do them. We're at work stealing everything from everyone today. Um, John Finn, I want to hop over to you next um, just because I was watching you watch Tim, and, and I think you may have some different things to add and maybe some similar things. So, what's on your mind with some final thoughts or one more thing to add?
6: Oh, so, uh, you know, I, for, I, I guess anytime I ever deal with odd time signatures, I am always looking for ways to think about how to resolve it to a way that I can actually feel and understand. Uh, and I wanted to uh, show a quick little example. I'm gonna play a portion of one of my tunes, just a short little burst, but um, the, so I I, it was a thought experiment that I did years ago. I wanted to see if I could write a tune in 1516 and have it sound like not some exercise that I did for an arranging class, right? So when I thought about 1516 and the different ways that you can um divide that up um you know the first thing well 15 is is five groups of three so i could think of it as a triplet field with five beats one. or i can think of it as three sets of five one and then another way to think of it is four four with a slightly shorter fourth beat Sort of, sort of, sort of alluding to what uh, what David Gilmore was was talking about, uh, but just you know maybe a slightly different way of thinking of it. So in other words, it's a quarter note, quarter note, quarter note, and then followed by a dotted eighth note. You know, so one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one. Now, if I frame it that way, then the, each subsequent downbeat can feel like a sixteenth note anticipation. Like if you're playing a sixteenth note groove and the drum is doing 16 anticipations, right? Right? So then what this is doing is, is making that anticipation, the downbeat. Uh. So uh, this is a tune called uh, Return from Timbuktu. It's in 15 and all three, Uh, examples are shown in the piece. So I'm just gonna play like a, a minute or less of it. And on, and on, and on,
5: and on. So... <laughs> okay.
6: Yeah, thank you. So, you know, but like I said, you know, so so one of the phrases is is that, uh, f- you know, four four with a short fourth beat, is that that's basically what the drummer's playing. Uh, the synthesizer and later guitar was playing th- uh, five sets of three. One, two, three, four, five, one, okay? Then the other one was playing three sets of five right so if that makes sense
1: yes that's fantastic (laughs) thank you so much for sharing that that's fantastic um that's so important the layering of the different feels. i love that um david tronzo what do you have what as your um your final (laughs) thoughts here that you would like to share. You have many more thoughts.
4: All, I just have to thank my fellow colleagues here for such a stupendous panel. And this last lesson has just been mind-blowing. You guys are masters and it's it's off the hook. I love it. So thank you. Um, couple of things. So first of all, you know, I, I always like to remember that rhythm, you know, rhythms and rhythm and its relationship to time is how everything functions so all phrases arrive because of rhythm all melodic rhythms you know like resolutions are all rhythmic before they're melodic or harmonic if you change the rhythm of a chord cadence that resolves if you disrupt the rhythm the same chord cadence or pitch melody will not resolve it's all rhythmically driven the pitches don't decide very much you know Uh, that being said uh, i'll leave that there Uh, a couple of things about odd rhythms i am not by any stretch a master of odd rhythms but i did have two experiences worth noting one was because rhythms are in the body obviously like when i would have a student who was you know having some difficulty relating even to basic duple subdivision (laughs) my lessons especially in the 1140 building that would be taught after like 6 p.m you know i used to teach till like nine at night In the early days, we would go walk the halls together and it would be left, right, left, right would be our our eighth note or it could be our quarter note strong weak. you know, and we would clap rhythms or just count out loud and get this thing that you have when you're a child, which is the stuff is in your body. You, You already own it, you own all of it, and it starts with duple. It's a heartbeat or right left this by the way clapping tapping or walking gets both hemispheres of the brain uh communicating it's it's a thing it's unavoidable it's a brilliant thing to do the other thing was i was up in canada and i was working as part of this you know school that was attached or this uh, workshop that was attached to the atlantic jazz festival which was also a like a global music festival while we were there we'd be working with all kinds of people you know of every age and type and stripe and one of the exercises the bass player brought was he would go like this he would go we're going to clap like this and this is going to be um this is going to be one of one two right so it's gonna be one two one two one two one two and if you want to do one two three you go one two three one two three and then we're going to put everything together like that and at any point in the group you can go back to any you can go back to the one twos. You can go back to a one two three, or any combination. So you go one two one two one two one two one two three, one two three one two. Then we do five. We go one two one two three one two one two three. We do seven. One two one two one two three one two one two one two three. Now, of course, we're putting the one twos first, and David had that thing where you know, you can move them around. But this kept it kind of simple for everybody. And then at any point during this little group interaction, anyone could go to any rhythm. So we might go like this, one, two, one, two, three, one, two, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, one, two, one, two, one, two, one, two, one, two, three, one, two, one. And the layering that would happen in a group of six or eight people, and we could slow it down, they could walk back and forth. It was magnificent over a period of days what happened to people's rhythm awareness and their ability to relate and relax now at the same festival there was a very famous romanian uh, gypsy group called tarif to Haduk. they're unbelievable and they were there and there was a group there also of these young musicians from all the balkan countries like a collective that did representation representational versions of all the music of the balkans whereas Tarif to Haduk was rome romanian Rom gypsy music and the leader of the of the of the young group was asking the elder of Tarif about this tune. And he said, It's in seven, right? <laughs> they have a translator. And the guy goes, No, it's in four. And the guy, the kid says, No, no, it's in seven. And he counts it out. This is gonna to relate to the long, short thing. He goes, No, it's in four. So a crude version of what they were talking about was the kid was saying it's uh uh right with some variation. And the guy goes, No, 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 it's a slow four and a fast four, and he counted the two things like one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one, two. And what it was related to was the dance that you did during this rhythm. You danced a dance very similar to like a waltz step, and it flow it fluxed a little bit, so the force could change length. So if you put a metronome on, you are you are toast. But of course, if you put a metronome on during a Robert Johnson record, you're toast also, <laughs> you know, what I mean? like within five seconds, it's on the backbeat. And then back again, right? Because that's how music can be, obviously. So i marveled at this beautiful um, discussion. And sure enough, the young group that did the Balkan diaspora, they changed their whole approach and they started teaching all the dances. When they would come to a festival they would hold these dance workshops and that's how you related to this complicated music and i went to one of these and i learned you know i can't do it now but i learned how to dance a few of these dances and then the coin just goes bing you know because what else is there but the body so that's it
1: that's beautiful that's great amen.
5: Oh, no i was just gonna say amen it's true and it's you know, these cultures are, 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 you know, dancing in seven and nine and 11. And uh, it's, it's in the culture, it's in the body. So there's nothing complicated about anything, really, it's just unfamiliar.
1: I I love that this conversation has come back around, after these hours, to just remind everyone about the holistic nature of rhythm. There's so many parts, and there's so many layers. And, um, and yet it's a, a big topic that has holistic implications. And um, it's a really wonderful start. This has been an incredible panel. And I just wanna thank everybody so much for being here. Um, remember if you're watching um, these four faculty members, Tim Miller, David Gilmore, David Tronzo, and John Finn teach every semester in the guitar department. Some of them teach in the summer, all of them teach in the fall and the spring you can study with them. You can also hear them interviewed on our department podcast which is called Berkeley Guitar Department Coffee Talk, wherever you get your podcast. You can watch this as many times as you like on our YouTube channel and there will be there's a lot of other performances from all four of these musicians on our YouTube channel. We also do a lot of stuff on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And um, we hope that you keep coming back. We're hoping that this is just the second in a very long series and we can have these musicians back to teach on different topics as we move forward. So um, please stay with us with all of that. And um, I just wanted to say again, as I thank you all, it's really incredible, everyone. um, If you look at the way these musicians approach music, the way they know their traditions, the way they can teach very specifically and very conceptually in five minutes or three minutes. It's incredible. Um, And so that's what hopefully you're all working on and thinking about. Um, I just also want to give a shout out to Jane Miller, our colleague, Professor Jane Miller, because it was Jane Miller just did a masterclass series, which is also on our YouTube channel for our series with the Career Center about how to teach a lesson in five minutes. So clearly all of the faculty here could teach that lesson as well. If you all want to learn how to do what they did, you can go watch Jane Miller teach you how to do it. And it's up on our YouTube channel right now. Um, So thanks, everyone. Um, Thank you, Tim.
5: Thank you so
3: much for having me, Kim. Really a pleasure.
1: welcome. Uh, Thank you, David Gilmore.
5: Thank you. Thank you. Great, great that you're doing this. And this is wonderful. i learned so much today. <laughs>
1: <laughs> thank you, David Tronzo.
4: Thanks, Kim. Thanks, Cheryl and Ian and Ben. And thank mm-hmm. you, my fellow colleagues, David Gilmore, Tim Miller and John Finn. Here's and thank you, Harry. John Finn. <laughs>
6: uh, th- thank, th- thank you for putting on the, the Kim and Cheryl. Thank you for putting this on uh, Tim, Dave. Uh, Dave and,
5: uh, Dave. <laughs> and Dave. And
6: Dave. Dave. <laughs> I've, I, you know, thank you. I'm going to be practicing for the next couple of years now. So thank you for that. This is awesome. Thanks. I appreciate that.
1: So panelists hang around and everybody else. Thank you for joining us and we'll see you next time. <laughs> <Everybody>. <laughs>